0: Amen. Good to see all of you this morning. Welcome to the Oasis. We're so glad you're here. Speaking of love, I just want to say how much I love you and I love being your pastor. Um, the way you guys have stepped up to surround some of these families that are going through uh, real trials, uh, just I just can't thank you enough for just what you're doing. And uh, just continue to pray for, for all of these folks. Um, don't forget, this Wednesday, August the 3rd, begins our uh, series in the book of 1 Timothy over in the cafeteria. And in this series, I think it's just we're going to learn so much that, that I think would be of great value to us as followers of Christ. One of the prominent themes of the book is that we learn how to be prepared and ready for the battles of life. Every day as a Christian, we're going to face the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we're going to be in battles every day, every week, every month, every year that we are alive on this earth. How prepared, how equipped are we for these battles? Uh, I think this series will help us in that respect. I hope you'll come out. and then. One of the great resources God gives us in the battles of life is the church, and I'm really hoping that this series through First Timothy will help us rediscover the church, to value being part of the church like we never have before, uh, because we live in a day and an age where many Christians do not place a priority on being part of the church. And so we're going to talk about that beginning on Wednesday night. So 7 o'clock over in the cafeteria, uh, we invite all of you to be there. The second week of our Bible study on August the 10th, we'll be having pizza. Uh, Have it there around 630 so that that as you come, uh, you can enjoy some pizza. And then on the 24th of August, we're going to have a Sunday night, so we'll have ice cream there as well. So try to get people re-engaged to our Wednesday night, and sometimes we use food to do that. (laughs) One other thing, don't forget, uh, on Saturday, August the 27th, we are offering a workshop through the Oasis Church on how to study the Bible. I guarantee you that if you sign up and invest some hours on that Saturday, you will walk away knowing more of how to get more out of your time in God's Word than you have before. And what's really exciting to me is I went out there, and we're, we're still about a month out from that, and we've already had 43 people sign up from our church to participate in that workshop. So that's very encouraging to me, and I hope many more of you will consider being a part of that. Uh, I think you'll really appreciate the uh, insight and information that you get. Well, today, we have come to the last chapter of 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to divide up the last chapter maybe a a little bit differently. We're not going to sort of cover it consecutively, if you will. Today, we're going to look at the first five verses of chapter 3, and then verses 16, 17, and 18, the last three verses. We're going to save uh, verse 6 through verse 15 uh, to end with next week. Uh, Because really the last three verses go along with the first five verses of 2 Thessalonians. And let's remember that 2 Thessalonians is all about the the coming of the day of the Lord and, and living as a follower of Jesus Christ in the last days. And in the last days, there are a lot of different things that's taking place, obviously. But one of the things that's taking place in the last days is that God is refining and purifying his people through what's going on around us. In other words, he's sort of separating, if you will, even within the body of Christ, those who are Christians, those who are really committed and devoted and serious, and those who are just sort of playing around and playing games. And just sort of are satisfied with the with the surface and the superficial, and really aren't willing to really get serious, if you will, about God in their life, about being part of the church, and all of that. So God is using this to because as we move forward in these last days, these challenging days, it, it actually does uh, cause more pressure to come on a Christian, more demands. Uh, Again, more challenges, more difficulties, all of that just by being a follower of Christ in the climate in which we live. So it really is going to separate, if you will, those within the body of Christ. And this passage today where Paul's talking to the Thessalonian church really deals with that because Paul wants to lay out something very key for all of us and that is this. There is a key word in these verses that really unlocks... The, the text for us this morning. And the word is found seven times in the eight verses that we're going to look at this morning. And the key word is the word Lord. You will notice it in verse 1, capital L O R D, again in verse 3, once again in verse 4, then in verse 5, then in verse 16, once, twice, I should say, in verse 16, and then once again in verse 18. Because Paul wants to remind us of something. That we can have Jesus as our Savior. But do we have Him as our Lord? See, there are many Christians that they, they like having Jesus as their Savior. They, they like knowing that my sins are forgiven, I've got a relationship with God, I know where I'm going when I die, But that's then about it. Uh, They sort of treat God as you would the elf on the shelf. God, now I've got you in my life, but now I'm going to sort of sit you up here on the shelf. I know where you're at. And if anything really starts to come into my life that, you know, rocks my world, and, and if I, things really start to go better, I, I know where you're at. I, I can come get you. you you're going to be there for me in crisis. But, but the everyday, no, God, that I want to live my life the way I want to. I, I want to make the choices and decisions in my life. I basically want to run my life. I want you as my Savior, but I don't want you as my Lord. Because in the word Lord is the whole idea that it is a term, a title of great respect and reverence for the one we call Lord. And when the Bible uses that to designate God in our life, God is saying, am I reverenced and respected by you? To the point where instead of you having control over your life you let me have control over your life. Instead of you running the show, you let me run the show. Instead of you deciding what's best for your life and where your life should go, you let me do it. And we can't even say that just because we throw around these terms in the Bible, that that really makes a difference in our life because it's not just what we say. It's what we do. Are we truly living under every day the authority of the Lord? Because Jesus very soberingly said these words to his followers early on in his ministry. And he was describing the day where people will come to basically appear before the throne of God and give an account of their life. And Jesus says these words. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done this and have we not done that in your name? And Jesus will look at those who say, Lord, Lord, and say, depart from me. I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you, much less I was the Lord of your life. See, we can use the term Lord. We can even as a Christian know what the term even means. But truly do we live under the lordship of God in our lives. James even says in his letter that wouldn't it be better instead of us making our own plans for our life and then going to God and saying, Now God, you're going to approve these, right? Because I've got it all planned out and this is what I want to do. Now, you're going to approve these, right? James says, wouldn't it be better if he is the Lord that we go to him before we start making all these plans and go, God, what plans do you have for me? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to be involved in? What do you want me to get involved in? And then let God lead, guide, and direct. James says that's when the Lord is truly the Lord. Not when we make plans of our own and go to Him and expect Him to sort of rubber stamp them, but when we go to Him before the fact and go, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to be? What service can I be to you today, this week, this month, this year? You see... Having the Lord as the Lord of our life, acknowledging his lordship in our life every day really makes a night and day difference in our everyday lives. I mean, to the point where a person can be a Christian and have Jesus as their savior, but their life would look totally different if he was truly the Lord of their life. And that's that separation that takes place even within the body of Christ. You see. And that's why Paul, I think, is bringing this to bear at this time. Because notice, he says in chapter 3, verse 1, finally. In other words, he's getting down to the end of his letter. And he wants to leave the Thessalonians and us with a few final thoughts. And, And the thing that really he wants to get across is how different it will be if we truly had the Lord as the Lord. That he led, he directed, he ruled, he was in control, not us. And one of the areas that our life would look really different is in our prayer life. Notice he talks about this. He says, finally, pray for us, brothers and sisters. Notice that Paul even admitted that the effectiveness of his ministry was based on the prayers of the saints. And Paul encouraged people to pray for him and his ministry. That's awesome. We need to be praying for one another. But notice he goes on to say, pray that the Lord's message may spread quickly and be honored as in fact it was among you, and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil people for not all have faith. In this too, Paul is saying, look, when you and I have the Lord as our as our Lord, and we're praying then our prayer life is going to look different. Instead of us, again, going to God and and trying to sort of manipulate God, if you will, in our prayer life, and and go to Him and sort of tell Him, this is how I want it to be, right, God? And you're going to be okay with this. And and going to this and trying to get God always in our prayers to change our circumstances, which, if He is the Lord, by the way, He can. In fact, He's the only one, because He's the Lord, He's the only one that can change other people's hearts, including ours. And he's the only one that can really change the circumstances of our life because he's the Lord. And through prayer, if we really believe he is the Lord, then we would go to him more. Because we understand that as the Lord, he truly alone has the power to change things. If that's what we're looking for. But more importantly, if we study prayer in the New Testament, we find that when God is the Lord of our life, it's not that we won't ask God for anything and everything, but at the end of it all, it's about God changing us more than God even changing others and changing our circumstances. That's what God wants to do through our prayer life when we acknowledge him as Lord. It's about changing us. As we go to God in prayer, hopefully as we leave that prayer time with God, we're different. We're different because He's the Lord. And anyone that you ever study who went into the presence of God in prayer in the Bible when they were at a place in their life where their heart was open and sensitive to God and where they recognized that they were in the presence of God, in a sense, they were standing on holy ground, they never left that time with God the same as when they came in. That's what God wants to do through our prayer time. He wants to change us as much as He does the things surrounding us. And it's not about going to God trying to get our will done. It's about in our prayer life as Jesus modeled, it's about saying to God, God, here's my request, but at the end of it all, here's what I need to say. Not my will, but yours be done. That's when we know that He's the Lord. Not when we're trying to impose our will through our prayer life on God, but where through our prayer life we're letting God shape our heart to align with His will. That's praying, acknowledging the Lordship of God in our life. We also see a difference in how we view His Word. Because you'll notice Paul goes on to say that when he is the Lord, we also look at his word as the Lord's message. Notice verse 1 of chapter 3. that This isn't man's word. This is God, the Lord, the ruler of the universe, the sustainer of the universe, my creator speaking to me. It's God, the Lord. Therefore, I need to allow the word to spread Quickly. That's sort of an unfortunate English translation because as soon as I saw those words spread quickly, I thought about how that means we need to share his word and we need to propagate it and get it out to others. And obviously that is important, but that's not what these words mean. These words are speaking about how we as a church and how we as individual believers sort of view the word of God in our own life. And Paul is saying We should, if he's the Lord, and this is his word, his message to us, we want it to run through our life. We want it to saturate our lives. We want it to permeate and penetrate our lives. You see. And he goes on to say, we should want to bring it honor. As in fact, Paul says, it has been honored amongst you. The word honored here means to give it weight, to value it, to prioritize it. Again, if He's the Lord, and if this is His message to us, then wouldn't we put a premium and a priority on this book in our lives? Wouldn't we place a premium and a priority on this book in our church? This is what's so sad today, is that the word of the Lord in many churches is not prioritized. It's not the preeminent thing. Other things are more important in that church than the Lord's message. But Paul is saying, if He truly is the Lord of our lives, and He has spoken, then won't this book and what He has said to us be valued And given its proper worth in our lives, won't we want to dive into it and learn it and study it and meditate on it and memorize it and truly sink our lives into it and make it a part of our life? If that's the Lord's message, then yes, we will. Notice he goes on in verse 3 to say that in contrast to people who don't have faith and people who are trying to hinder his ministry... Paul says, the Lord is faithful. And another way that we acknowledge the Lord in our lives is by separating Him from anything and everyone else in our lives. See, many times, even as Christians, Christians have a hard time letting go of control of their life and truly trusting God because they treat God like they do another human being. Well, I've I've been burned by humans I've seen in my life I can't trust humans, so I'm not going to trust God either. Well, then, where's His Lordship in your life? Do do you think God, just like everybody else? No, He's the Lord. And though other human beings, in fact, all human beings, will never always be trustworthy and reliable and dependable, Paul is reminding us God, as the Lord, is always trustworthy. Trustworthy. Always 100% reliable and dependable. You can always count on God. Because he's not like anyone else. He's separate from everything and anything he ever created. He's the Lord. And therefore we should never, ever look at God as we do anything or anyone else. Because he's the Lord. He's above all. And he can be trusted. Then he goes on to say, the Lord is not only faithful, he will strengthen you and protect you. If we want real stability in our life, and we talked about this last week, how God wants to strengthen us. He wants to solidly plant us, if you will, in him and in his word to the point where we are firm and stable and steadfast and constant through thick and thin of our lives. Then Paul says, acknowledge him as Lord. Because I can have Him as my Savior and still be shaken like a reed in the wind. But if I allow Him to lead and guide and direct and take control of my life, I will see that I am more stable than I have ever been in my life. And I will be strong and I will be solidly planted. And then, He says He will protect me from the evil one and really from everything. In other words, I will be secure because my security is in the Lord. And if He truly is the Lord and I'm acknowledging Him as the Lord, then I understand He rules. He reigns. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's nothing or no one stronger or mightier in the universe than Him. If he can't protect me, then nothing or no one can. And therefore, if I believe he is the Lord, then I'm totally secure in him. I'm fearless. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in my life or what's around me, it doesn't bother me because he's the Lord and I know he will protect me. And if God allows something to come into my life, he has a much greater and more powerful purpose for allowing it then I can maybe even wrap my mind around, but I know it's always going to be for my good and for His glory. Because He's the Lord. And I'm secure in Him. I don't place my security in other human beings. I don't place my stability in other human beings or in the situations of my life, because those things can change in an instant. I place my strength and my security in the Lord and I acknowledge him as such. Notice he goes on to say too, verse four, and we are confident about you in the Lord. That you're both doing and will do what we are commanding. If he's the Lord of our lives, then we won't just be hearers of the word. We will be doers. Keyword there, doing. Applying, implementing all that we're hearing and being instructed about. If he's the Lord, then it's not enough just to hear it. I got to put it into practice. Am I applying the message of God into my life? Or do I just sort of, again, let it go in this ear and out that ear? It's something that I know up here, but I'm not really implementing or applying in my life. Paul says, "If, if you really acknowledge him as Lord, there will be this continual application and implementation of his word in our life as it comes into our life. And then he says, now may the Lord direct your hearts toward the love of God and the endurance of Christ. Well, I thought God always loved me. Why why is Paul praying for God to direct their hearts or our hearts toward his love? Because again, if God is not the Lord of our lives, we end up throughout our lives, even as Christians, accepting substitutes, cheap imitations and counterfeits for his love. We go after and pursue other things trying to fill that void and that hole in our heart, if you will, that only the love of God can fill, satisfy, and fulfill. And that's why he's saying, let God be the Lord and let Him get rid of all the distractions of your life that prevent you, all the barriers you've put up, all all the walls you've put up to letting God's love just flow in and change your life. Because the love that Paul's talking about here, this love of God is life altering. It's life transforming. It's life changing. If I truly receive the love of God, I'm never going to be the same. And Paul's saying, will you let God just be the Lord and let him take you and turn you where he wants to so that you can truly experience and enjoy all the love he has for you. Because many times I said, when we accept the cheap substitutes or counterfeits for God's love, then we're not able to truly experience the love that He has for us. And when He's not the Lord of our life, we also don't enjoy the benefit of His endurance, the endurance of Christ that He talks about at the end of verse 5. I describe or define the endurance of Christ as that supernatural staying power and stamina that we all need as followers of Christ in the world in which we live. Do we have it? Do we have that steadfast constancy, if you will, in the midst of what is going on all around us? The only way that we'll have the endurance of Christ is when we let God lead our lives, not just be the savior of our lives, where we acknowledge him as Lord. Notice in verse 16, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times. And in every situation, that covers everything in life, right? And he's saying, but he's the Lord of peace. And we always usually define peace negatively. It's the absence of conflict. It's the absence of war. But in the Bible... God's peace is defined really as spiritual health and prosperity. That's why in the Old Testament, the word for peace was shalom. It was a greeting that the Jews would give to each other. Shalom, peace and prosperity to you. Spiritual health and prosperity to you. Because if you and I are in a good place spiritually, then our mind will be tranquil. Our hearts will be settled. We will be at peace on the inside. But only when we're in a good place with God and when we are allowing him to be the Lord of our life because he's the Lord of peace so many people today want peace in their life even Christians I want to be more at peace I want to be able to lay my head on that pillow at night and be able to get to sleep without staying up and and worrying and fretting and all stressed out over my life and what's going on in the world I wish I had God's peace then let him be the Lord Let him take over your mind. Let him take over your life. Give it all to him. Let him rule. Let him reign in your life. And you will find his peace. I guarantee you. The prophet Isaiah said, You will keep that one in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or fixed or transfixed or focused on you. Because he's the Lord. He's the Lord. And then I love this at the end of verse 16. The Lord be with you all. Again, many Christians might at first blush go, well, isn't God always with us? I mean, the Bible teaches he's omnipresent because he's God, that means he's everywhere. And doesn't the Bible teach me that God will never leave me nor forsake me? So what's it mean the Lord be with you? Here it means more than just his presence is there. Again, the the elf-on-the-shelf illustration. I, I know where God is. He's around there somewhere. The words here speaking about God being so prominent amongst us that His presence is so powerfully felt that it changes us and transforms us. I even would describe this myself as the palpable presence of God amongst us see, God doesn't want to just be at church with us. He wants to come down on a Sunday or a Wednesday or anytime we're together and even in our own lives. And his presence wants to be so powerful amongst us that again, we leave a changed person. We leave different because his presence is here and we have invited it here and and we have removed all the obstacles and we've just said, God, take over. Well I love that story of Jesus in the Old Testament when he's confronting Joshua. Joshua was getting ready to go to battle. Jesus shows up. He doesn't know it's the Lord yet. And he asked Jesus the question, hey, whose side are you on? Are you on our side or their side? Our enemy's side. And Jesus said, I'm not here to take sides. I'm here to take over. And then he said to Joshua, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. I'm here. That's when he's the Lord. He's not here to take sides and our little petty issues. He's here to take over. He wants to take over the Oasis Church. He doesn't want to just be a part of it. He wants to be the head of it. He doesn't want to just be a part of our life. He wants to be our life. That's when we know he's the Lord. Is the Lord's presence so discernible, that you can feel him in a sense. You know what I'm talking about. I've been in a lot of different churches in my Christian life. And there are some churches that I can walk into and I can literally sense God's there. There are other churches, places of worship that I can walk into and I don't feel God there at all. You see, it's not about what buildings are built and how pretty the buildings are, how many buildings there are. The most important thing is, is God there? That's my big concern for us. I don't want to just build buildings over there on Greenfield and Queen Creek. If God's not going to be there in those buildings, it doesn't mean a thing. There are many beautiful churches all around this world, many places of worship all around this world, and you and I could walk into them, and God has long exited those places of worship. Just as He did, His glory, leave the temple in the Old Testament. Because they didn't really want God to be there as the Lord. They sort of wanted Him to just be over there on the side. But He's the Lord. He will share his glory with no one or nothing else. And then finally, Paul says, I'm writing this greeting with my own hand, verifying his authorship and the authenticity of this letter, which is how I write in every letter, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Paul's saying, when you and I acknowledge the Lord in our lives, we will have this grace that just is our traveling companion that carries us through and, is, and, and we are able to handle all of life's situations because His grace is amazing. His grace, the Bible says, is sufficient. It will support and it will strengthen us for anything that we will face. Are we willing to acknowledge? It's the Lord's grace, though. It's not me trying to drum up my own strength within me and gather around. It's about relying and depending on the grace of the Lord. Seven times in eight verses, Paul keeps mentioning the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Because he says, yeah, you and I can have Jesus as our Savior. But do we have him as our Lord? Are we still in control of our life? Still making our plans, calling the shots, determining the direction that we want to go? And then maybe politely going to God and saying, you're okay with this, right God? Or is he the Lord? Is he the one we go to first? First? And say, God, what do you want? What do you want me to do? You're the Lord. I I take my direction from you. I, I I don't call my own shots. I come to you and get my marching orders from you. I get my orders from you. I get my direction and leading and guidance from you because you're the Lord. I'd like you in closing this morning to turn with me back to a very familiar passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, the 23rd Psalm. Would you turn there with me, please? Psalm 23. Many Christians are very familiar with this psalm. Some of you might even know this psalm by heart. But did you ever concentrate on the very first line of this very familiar psalm? It doesn't start out with God is my shepherd. It starts out with what? (laughs) The Lord. And then he goes on, David, to say, the Lord is my shepherd. He's not just my savior. He's my shepherd. Therefore, as a sheep, I follow him. I'm not leading and then asking God to follow me. I'm the sheep, he's the shepherd, I follow him. Because many times as we read Psalm 23, we like all the blessings and benefits of Psalm 23. I mean, we like thinking God leads us to lush pastures and we like that God leads us to refreshing waters and he restores our strength and he leads us down right paths. That even if we walk through the darkest valley, even the shadow of death, I don't fear anything. You're with me. Your rod and staff reassure me. You even prepare a feast before me in the presence of my enemies. You refresh my head with oil. My cup is completely full. And goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all the days of my life. And I'll live in the Lord's house forever. Amen to that. Yes, but all of that all of those benefits, all of those blessings, if you go back to the very first part of that psalm, is contingent on the Lord being our shepherd. Not just our Savior, but our shepherd. We're going to do something a little bit different here this morning at the Oasis. Every other time we've ever done communion, we've taken this last psalm, And we've been dismissed during the last song and we've moved around and we've gotten our elements and then we've come back and we've partaken of the Lord's table. But today, I don't want any movement other than just us to stand and sing this last song to the Lord. Because this song that we're about to sing really is about Jesus being the Lord of our life. There's a line in the song that says, When you call, I won't refuse. When you call, I won't delay. You, Lord, are the delight of my life. That's more than just having Jesus as my Savior. That's declaring, Jesus, you are my Lord. I don't want you just as my Savior. I choose you as my Savior, but I also choose you as my shepherd. Will we choose Jesus not just as our Savior today, but as our Shepherd? Will we let Him be the Lord of our life? Would you stand with me? After we sing this song, then there's just going to be instruments. And as the instruments begin to play, then you will be dismissed to go back and receive those elements. And as you do, I would like to lay this before you today. That as all of us go back and grab that symbol of Christ's body and the symbol of His blood that He shed for us, that we would be reminded that Jesus died for us and gave us eternal life, not just to be our Savior. He did what He did to be our shepherd. He wants to be the shepherd of our life, not just the Savior of our life. And so as we go back and we grab those today, would you consider not just taking those as symbols that Jesus is your Savior today, but that you would pick up those symbols and and say, Jesus, I don't want you just to be my Savior. I want to be your sheep. I want you to be my shepherd today.